electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The surging Dow, the index hitting another new high today, and why one of our committee members is buying several stocks, even though they're at record highs. We discuss and debate that. With Josh Brown, John Nigerian, Surat Sethi, Steve Weiss is here along with Tiffany McGee, the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. Let's check the markets. Mentioned the Dow new record today. Did fall back just a touch, but nonetheless, positive day for technology. You've got Chairman Powell helping out. There's your picture right now. S&P, NASDAQ, Russell 2000 positive. More vaccines are coming. Markets awash in liquidity. Pretty good backdrop, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, I think, I think if you're bearish right now, you're, you're one of those guys that's like, this will end badly. Like, that, like, those are the people who are bearish because it's too good. And I'm somewhat sympathetic to that. It'll end badly. But if you, if you know your cocktail, and I know you do, um, this is what Tom Cruise has to explain. Of course it will end badly. Because if it didn't, otherwise it wouldn't end, right? Everything ends badly. So in the meantime, though, you've got... Really, the, the, the big marquee FANG stocks moving sideways for a long time and almost everything else working. And I think you have to take that as a positive. The semiconductors look ridiculous right now. And semiconductors are important because they're in every segment of the economy is now utilizing uh, semiconductors. I said a few years ago they're the new transports. And I feel that way now more than ever. Look at the payment stocks. PayPal, is, is it th- it's 300. The stock is vertical, square two. Um, the entirety of the fintech space. And you've just got so many other areas where stocks are working. So the, the worst thing I think you could say right now is it's too good, it's moved too fast, too many stocks are working. But like, if that's the kind of investor you are, um, it hasn't been a really good 10 years for you, has it? Yeah. You know, Weiss, we had Keith Meister on yesterday who talked about the backdrop and the environment for stocks. Let's listen to Keith and then we can react on the other side. As we look forward, I think we're going to have a lot of vaccines available. There's a lot of pent-up demand. So just when you've had um, additional stimulus, the Fed's still there. You're going to get the economy reopening. So I feel like the economy is going to be very, very strong in the first half of 2021, which then creates what's the biggest risk. And I think the biggest risk is, you know, do you get inflation and what does that do to the price of equities? But until the market starts to worry about that, which I'm not smart enough to know exactly when, but given how hard it's been to create inflation um, over the last you know decade plus, I think it'll take a little longer. So I feel like for the next several months, the setup for the market's quite constructive. Hard to argue with that, Weiss, isn't it? That's been my thesis, uh, except I'm not worried about inflation so much. I'm more worried about rates presaging inflation, but I still maintain that we can get to 3% as long as we do it in a measured way and the market's not really going to flinch. Sure, it'll be up or down 
any point in time, we get a 5% to 10% correction, but the setup is great. And we still have enough people. It's not everybody's uniformly bullish. Still have those people, as Josh referenced, saying it's going to end badly. Still a lot of strategists saying, hey, this is too much too soon. There's froth in the market. The dynamics are as follows. Half as many stocks as we had 15 years ago, 10 years ago, trading the public company. SPACs included. I believe we could see an economy that goes to the 84 levels, which were over 7% GDP. And that's going to drive it. And inflation is not a concern because we're going through this industrial revolution that pulled demand forward for chips, for 5G, and has made us much more productive. We're seeing productivity increase with corporations and the economy more than we've seen over the last 10 years. That was the knock. Productivity's falling. Guess what? It's not. It's increasing. So semis are my biggest position. They have been for a while. It's going to continue. And the shortage is a good thing, by the way. So I continue to like tech overall. I do think the large cap tech will lag, still go up, but will lag relative to the others. They have these great idiosyncratic stories. But there are risks. There is froth in some names, but not the market overall. It's interesting. Very comfortable valuation in the market. Tiff, you know, I'm, I'm betting that you can't be too concerned at all about where we are judging by the moves that you're making. You have a new buy in Zillow, right? You bought it on Monday. That stock has absolutely flied. Um, as, it's, oh, as it's flown higher, you, you have bought it, um, which is interesting to me. It's up 75% in three months, yet you're still buying it now. You bought more Peloton on the dip that it had. What does that say about your big picture view about where stocks are, even though they've come pretty far? Yeah, you know, I, I think first, uh, Scott, you know, we've got to really think about, really take into consideration that, you know, we're really in the middle of the the acceleration of the digit of the digitization of basically everything, right? Uh, so, you know, I, I've got a whole entire thesis on Peloton, you know, um, but people are really thinking about Peloton as um, a fitness company, right? This equipment company. But I'm thinking of it as a streaming company. Um, and, you know, you think about, when we think about streaming, we think about Netflix and Disney Plus, but there are also these smaller stream, streaming companies like Crunchyroll and BritBox. And when you look at those numbers compared to what Peloton's been able to do in the past year, it has surpassed those numbers of those companies that have been around for much longer. Um, I was in a Peloton class on Sunday with 60,000 people. And so I'm looking at things from a different perspective with Peloton. It did take a dip because it, it is having issues issues with meeting, with meeting the demand, the demand, right, of bikes. But it also has this app that has nothing to do with the bikes, right? And you can take all sorts of classes. And I'm really, really bullish on Peloton. And so I used that dip as an opportunity to buy. Zillow, the CEO of Zillow was just on uh, CNBC earlier. And it's the digitization and I cannot say that word today, it's the digitization of, of, um, of home buying, which is like so crazy because it is very hard to buy a house. It's not an easy process, but they want to make it a one-click process. Whether they can do that or not, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but just look at these numbers. 9.6 billion visits last year to Zillow. Right. And what they're doing, which I love, and they had this this really cool Saturday Night Live skit is there. You know, uh, I, I love this idea of real estate porn. Right. This is actually what what uh, what Zillow um, 
kind of like this, this byproduct of Zillow, the people go to Zillow to dream. And what they're trying to do is take this funnel of dreamers and make them buyers. But all they need to do is get these 9.6 billion to keep coming back. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're already drawing them in. So there really is this kind of a revolution going on. Um, and that's what I'm invested in. Yeah. John Ajarian, what do you think about that, that thesis? I mean, you, you have to believe that a lot is known a lot is already in these stocks, isn't it? Well, I, I, I just wish I would have listened to Tiffany about Zillow and Gene Munster because both of them have been uh, uh, pretty adamant in what is likely to be a fantastic year for Zillow. And obviously the big jump today, you know, I'm kind of kicking myself, Scott, for missing that. But kudos to you, Tiffany, for catching it. Um, as far as uh, some of these stocks getting too far too fast. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that out there, Scott. Um, and is it possible that they can continue at the pace that they were on for the last month or the last uh, uh, six weeks? No, it is not possible. However, um, my point back and forth with Josh would be it doesn't mean it ends. Um, I mean, when we talk about things ending badly, unless I know the world is ending tomorrow, this isn't going to end. We're going to have another market again tomorrow. And I know that Josh doesn't think the world's going to end either, but this is just part of the discussion whenever you get to, well, it's going to end badly. Some people will lose money. People lose money every day. Some people will make money. People make money every day. Um, you know, when you get an overextended stock and you get that fear of missing out, whether it's an asset um, or a store of value like Bitcoin or Doge even, or whether it's Tilray, when you get that, Scott, yeah, you'll have people streaming into that. They were after hours last night, by the way, with Tilray. The stock closed at like 61 or 62. I saw it trade 77 in the after hours before breaking down hard. So did that mean it ended? No, it's still trading today. So you can decide, well, yeah, maybe now at 41, I really like the stock, for instance. And those are all examples in Tilray. I don't think anything ends unless we think the world ends, Scott. There are always going to be people that are late to the party and some of us that try to be early or catch well, that way. And, you know, we don't always win. We don't always win. It's not I'm a just matter of, of it. I mean, it, it, I think you're being a little extreme. It, it, it's not that the world has to end for some of this to end. It's the Kramer uh, philosophy as he talks about certain pockets mm -hmm. of the market, which in his words are on a, quote, highway to the danger zone. It's a Kenny Loggins market. At least part of it is starting to look mm -hmm. frothy. Uh, stocks that have enormous rallies that are, in his view, totally disconnected from the underlying fundamentals. The whole world doesn't have to end for, for stocks like that to, you know, have a, have a big correct. pullback or have a, have a correction. Just, you know, little things have to change, you know. Interest rates moving higher could change the perception of growth stocks. For example, a comment from mm -hmm. somebody yep. um, in a powerful position could have an impact on, on some of these stocks or the overall market for a moment, too, Doc. We're not talking about, you know, you don't have oh, to yeah. have a grand moment to have an upset in some of these names. Well, very, very true, Scott. And again, back to that Tilray example, you know, when you've got a stock that goes from 
I think it was a, a billion nine. And yesterday, that was the beginning of the year, uh, the 4th of January, I think it was a billion nine valuation. It exploded yesterday to over 10, almost 11 billion in market cap. Now, that's not part of an interest rate or a growth. <laughs> I mean, that's just a feeding frenzy created by many of our friends over at Wall Street Bets and the, the, the gang weed in particular over there that just kept piling into this, that stock and the options of that stock. I mean, option trading, Scott, this year is up 61% versus an all-time record last year. Uh, so obviously there's a lot more participation, some of it because of that sports betting thing that we talked about that they didn't have sports to bet on, so they kind of gravitated over into uh, spec more speculative trades like a call option, for instance, or a put if they want to bet. And they did bet both ways. I mean, last March, a lot of these same Wall Street bets guys were on the puts as the market was trading down. But all of that uh, additional trading is just driving things up or down for moments in time. And then things recalibrate. They're recalibrating right now in Tilray as the stock goes from that after hours high yesterday, 77, down to I think it hit 39 this morning, and maybe it's fluctuating around 40 as we're talking now, Scott. So, Surat, um, it's good to see you again. Your shot's back up, so I bring you into the conversation. Again, reacting on the Meister uh, sot from, from yesterday when he joined us, the setup quite constructive, and that's separate from a conversation that, that we are having here about slices of the market that may be frothy, overheated, overvalued, or, or, and, in, and or in need of a correction. Yeah, I mean, Keith, Keith had it right. I mean, you look at the fangs, those are really good, uh, you know, what I would call secular growth stories. And, and, and they're trading at multiples that have now come down. They've gone sideways, as we've talked about. So I think, you know, in, in a diversified portfolio, I look at those as kind of, a, you know, one of those, the, the core positions that you can now invest around because they're great cash flow, they've got secular growth rate, and really they're gonna have some good, couple of good years coming forward. It doesn't really matter in terms of interest rates. The only thing that interest rates are gonna affect them is if capital flows out to other sectors that will have better growth rates or nominally better growth rates coming forward. So, you know, it's not a question of you don't need to own those. It's really avoiding kind of what we've been talking about, the frothiness in a diversified portfolio, because if some of these stocks have tripled, quadrupled, in a span of months, it just doesn't connect with the fundamentals of those. So it's a question of where do you want to be? And I think being in the fangs is, is totally good. Fine, it's just a question of exposure and then looking at other areas that if and when rates do move up, Scott, and kind of that's an ongoing question, two steps forward, one step back, but you can be in the cyclicals, you can be in the financials, and you can be in kind of areas like, like Weiss said, you know, the semiconductor space where right now, the demand is just outstripping the supply. So we know that's gonna continue and it's gonna continue when we actually even get to partial reopening and to full reopening. So there are plenty of areas in the market. One just has to be very careful about valuation and the fear of, you know, the, the FOMO fear. Okay, so I wanna know where, where things are overvalued. I wanna play off of what Kramer said and have you guys identify stocks that people may very well have in their portfolios and think are, are and should think that they might be you know might be poised for a, a pullback because you think they're overvalued. Weiss, you know you have some interesting names on this list. Why don't you tell me which ones we should focus on? 
Well, I've got Zoom, I've got Tesla. Not that Tesla's going to correct anytime soon, but you've got massive competition coming on. It's always overvalued, so no reason to believe that's going to calibrate until you see that competition come on. But to me, it's the SPACs. The SPACs are a ridiculous space, and I'm being generous here, or conservative. 80% of them will fail, okay? Or they will do nothing as stocks. We, he, we keep hearing the dialogue, well, these investors looked at, they spent time, it's transparent. That's crap. These investors, whether it's T. Rowe or Fidelity, they have a portfolio of these things. So to think you can pick the one that's going to work, and a lot of them are giving these egregious valuations, including, by the way, we had one on yesterday, but also you take a look, we'll talk about them with others, the EV stocks, they're just not all going to succeed. Life is not that easy. Investing is not that easy. Well, where so do you I'd get, be very, very careful. Well, where do you get the 80 percent number will fail? Uh, just an estimate. Just a, just a guess. Purely a guess from years of experience. Yeah. I mean, obviously. You haven't done the due diligence on these names have not gone through the process. The due diligence hasn't been there. A number of them are venture stage companies. And there's a high failure rate of venture stage companies. You know. Tiffany, Steve mentions EV, and that has been discussed for months now as the pinnacle of overheated. You, you did own NEO, right? I don't see it, though, in your book anymore. That stock's up was up almost 1,500% over the last year. When did you move out of that? Yeah. Yeah, so so that was purely client driven. Um, again, you know, I, I exist in the real world where we have to have conversations with clients, and um, sometimes it's it's a meeting of the minds. Um, so, and, and Steve brings up a really good point: this whole idea of Tesla, which we we do like, we do own, um, and I think it's it's, it's a two it's it's a different story. So, Neo, as you pointed out, up. Uh, Precisely in the past year, 1,464% uh, does not make any sense to me, to Kramer's point. This is a, an EV company out of China listed in the U.S. Um, it's gotten help from the Chinese government. It's gotten you know, subsidies. It's gotten looser restrictions. Uh, it has not really delivered, along with, by the way, other uh, local uh, Chinese um, uh, EV companies, Tesla is crushing it compared to them, right? Has delivered five times as many cars, uh, um, vehicles, uh, and not up as much. So I'm looking at those two things, the comparison of Tesla to a NEO, and NEO just does, does not make any sense to me. So we got out of that a long time ago. Again, it was client-driven. Uh, we kind of tested it out, if you will. And at the end of the day, we won, and we were able to sell it. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean client? What do you mean client driven? Clients calls you up and says, "What are we doing when in this stock? It's gone up so much. Let's get the heck out of here." Be, yep, we really no, no, no. Client says we really want to be in this stock, and we say, "Well, we're not so sure that's a good idea," and so we have a conversation. So, we're, you know, Pivotal Advisors is not a dictatorship. <laughs> Sometimes clients have convictions around stocks. And so, you know, they, they hire us to, to, yes, sometimes make decisions for them, but also to, to, to be partners with them and have conversations. And sometimes they still want to own stocks. And so it's their money. So we oblige. But we're able to have these conversations with them. And we ended up selling it. And that's what happened. So 
Um, I do not see a very good future for Neo. I, I, you know, again, to Kramer's point, it makes me extremely, extremely nervous when you have a company that's up that much. Again, over almost 1,500% in the course of, you know, almost less than a year with no strong fundamentals to back it up. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Josh Brown, how about playing off the Kramer thing? Are there stocks that you say, you know, are, are beware of right now? I have an article on my uh, computer from October 25th, uh, 2013. Five warning signs that stocks could be getting too bubbly. I thought you were going to say That's October years of, ago, of 1987. And, <laughs> no, but like, like, ser like seriously, you could, just, you could just pull out the names of the stocks in here. In this case, they're worried about Micron and Green Mountain Coffee for some reason. Those are like signs of a top. You could just pull those out and put today's stocks in, and it's all the same thing. It's... Uh, sentiment, its valuations are stretched. Uh, Kramer's in here too. He's talking about sunny side up eggs. Like the grill is so hot that, like one second too long on the grill and they burn to a crisp. It's all the same. It's all the same conversation. So um, I, I don't think it takes much to look at a market where stocks have gone up and say it's like frothy. But like if that's how you're investing, you have no returns, like none. I know those people. They're like fully hedged. To the point where they might as well not even bother and just do real estate. But look, so, there, there are a lot of, though, um, the, of course, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at, Josh, and I'd love for you to opine on, on this, is there, there are very specific stocks, you know, some of which Tiffany owns and that she mentioned, not to, you know, single out Tiffany, but I think a lot of people may own the Zooms and the Pelotons and the Zillows, um, all of which have benefited from a pandemic-led trend. And now that we're towards the light at the end of the tunnel, you have to wonder whether the best days are behind those stock moves. Isn't that fair to Can question that? Can I say something that? on that, though? Go ahead, Tiffany, and then Josh, I'll, I'll bring I? you in. Yeah. 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 Let me just make a really, let me just make an important point. So yes, those stocks that you mentioned I own, but this is in the scope of a larger portfolio, right? So it's very important, especially for people who are watching us at home to have a buy sell discipline and also have a set asset allocation. This is in the context of a larger portfolio. The, the, you, it's important for you to have, um, you know, uh, a reasoning for purchasing a stock. And I think that we tend to talk about all those reasons on the show. But you also have to understand at what point are you going to trim and take profits off? So all those 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 names that you mentioned, we've trimmed and take and, and taken off profits. So we're constantly rebalancing portfolios. So that's just as important as the conviction and the reasoning behind buying a stock. So it's not like I bought Zillow and we're riding on Zillow at the same levels all of the time, right? So once something goes up, you know, a, a certain percentage, we're making calculated decisions to determine when we're going to take off profits. And then in the case of Peloton, we had that dip. So we, we trimmed Peloton across portfolios, right, depending on the client. And, you know, it's also a good time sometimes to buy it back with new clients at a point where it's on sale. So it's all a dance and, and, and the strategy, the asset allocation strategy is just as important as the conviction and the reasoning behind buying the stock. All right, I'm glad you added that really important context to it. Tiff, Josh, and then Surat. Mm -hmm. 
I just think one of the things missing from the conversation is that a lot of the overvalued, um, a lot of the overvalued levels that we're seeing are starting before these stocks even come public. They're happening in the private markets with valuations. Coinbase uh, is is Coinbase is going to come public. They're probably going to do a direct listing, not an IPO, but not a SPAC. That thing could be worth $75 billion on the first day. That has no bearing on reality. But that's not happening just because of the public markets. That's happening with the, the, the levels of financing that they're doing pre-coming public with private capital. And that's supposed to be the smart money. That's venture money beating up the, their own book. And they're doing that over and over again before it even becomes in the public domain where regular people can, can uh, be involved. Um, so I think, I think what Weiss said about electric vehicles is true. Actually, it's worse than he stated. Throw out the 80% number. We had 200-some-odd automobile producers 100 years ago, and there's like three left today. Well, he's talking SPACs. He's so talking an 80% fail right, rate for but, SPACs. Right. A lot, a lot of the, a lot but, of the but SPACs a lot of those are EV-related. Are... Exactly. No, yeah, a lot, so, a lot of, um, you're pointing out a Rivian, lot of the SPACs are in, the, in that space. Surat, let me bring you into the conversation now, if I could. Yeah, I, I wanted to add to what Tiffany was saying, and she's spot on there. One of the things, the, the key words here are risk management. And when you look at a portfolio and you look at your core positions and you look at a diversified portfolio, the positions we're talking about, whether it's the Zillows, the Neos, the Teslas, whatever, those are what we would call satellite positions. And, and you, you, you know when you go into them the risk reward that you're getting. And when you're managing as a fiduciary for somebody whose objectives are, are longer term, you have to really be cognizant of the risks in the portfolio. And what I'm seeing sometimes in, in, in some of the uh, clients that, well, prospective clients we get is they've done so well the last couple of years, they're up, you know, triple digits. But the concentration on five to 10 stocks that make up 75% of their portfolio, fabulous companies. But if, if the air comes out of these areas, whether it's in EV, it's in, in some of these other areas and, and you know, even throwing the cannabis stocks. I think that's where you have to be careful. And I think we're all trying to say the same thing to our, our, to our viewers. Just be careful in the context of a full portfolio that your risk isn't all on one side because it's great right now when the markets are rising and the beta in your portfolio is huge. But that can really hurt you on the way down, especially if money flows to other sectors. So in the couple of minutes we have before I want to take a break, Doc, tell me about some of the moves you're making. You sold a lot of calls. Yep, I closed a lot of positions, Scott, and that's just because I was doing exactly what all, all of us have been talking about, taking money off the table when you can, not when you have to. Um, when you get a 400% move out of a stock or something like that, how do you not take some off? Yeah, you can keep rolling up and putting a, uh, a stop or a put option underneath that position, but you know, sooner or later you gotta say, okay, I think these might pull back. To everybody's points, though, about uh, uh, EVs and so forth, there's one huge play in EVs. And, you know, that, that lyric that Mary Barra was showing us uh, in that Super Bowl commercial with Will Ferrell, fantastic. Um, that, though, all of those run on lithium. Virtually every one of them, except for the Toyota uh, hydrogen versions. If we're talking about um, alternative energy, for vehicles, most people are talking about EVs, which means lithium. So ALB up 87% year over year, great, fabulous play. Uh, lithium America, LAC, same thing. I am an advisor to uh, uh, American Battery and Mining, ABML. This thing is up 600 and some odd percent, Scott. Um, 
just in the last year, I think these stocks go a heck of a lot higher because, again, if Mary Barra goes from where she is right now to um, uh, even just 40 or 50 percent of her fleet being offered as an EV, which is what, what they're trying to do, and by 2030 or 2035 even, the whole fleet, there is not enough out there for these folks. So any of these companies in that exploration and delivery of lithium and so forth are going to zoom and they're going to put all of these other stocks we're talking about, uh, leave them in the dust because that is the next big play right now. All right. We will take a quick break. When we come back, Dow component Disney reports after the bell tonight. We'll size you up uh, that one. Also, shares are up big. As you know, they're the investment committee takes their positions. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Contessa Brewer, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Speaker Nancy Pelosi says the House's COVID relief bill will include a $15 minimum wage. She says morning, she expects lawmakers will finish work on the legislation by the end of the month. So Don't count on extra time to file your taxes this year. The IRS says there are no current plans to extend the April 15th deadline. Last year, the IRS gave Americans an extra three months because of the pandemic. The White House says it's not considering any new restrictions on domestic air travel. Reports the administration is looking at COVID-related limits on travel to Florida brought denunciations from many Republican politicians. And Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, has won her privacy battle against a British newspaper publisher, printed parts of a personal letter she wrote to her father. That decision ends prospects for a high-profile trial, though parts of the case will still go to court. That's our CNBC News update for this hour. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Contessa, thank you very much. Contessa Brewer. All right, let's talk about some more of these moves. Steve Weiss, I come to you. Um, I find this interesting. You have repeatedly dissed Bitcoin on this program, yet you repeatedly get into the trade. You've, you've, you know, you've called it really nothing more than, than speculation, um, a momentum play. Uh, you're back in in grayscale Bitcoin. You you uh, and you also have Bitcoin directly through Robinhood. Correct. So, my job is to find 
stocks or instruments that are going to go up. Uh, Bitcoin, I've got a speculative part of the portfolio, as most do, and I've owned Bitcoin. I haven't sold Bitcoin. I actually own it through Robinhood, where the execution was horrendous, by the way. Um, and a good thing, because it wound up buying cheaper than I put the price in. In terms of, of GBTC, look, you've gotten these announcements coming out every day. So whether I believe Bitcoin will be a currency or a hedge, whether I think it's ridiculous or actual, doesn't matter. I think it's going to go up. So when you have Bank of New York Mellon coming out today, when you have Elon Musk, who I think is pulling everybody's chain with all his tweets, but the fact is that it's marching forward. PayPal, which I also own some PayPal. So it's going up. When the, you know, and I think it's going to go up for a while at this point because now there's a race to say, we're cool, we want to be involved. So I'll be there for a while. I bought it on the dip the other day. But let me ask you I'm this. there for until further notice. But let me ask you, I yep. know, okay, so till further notice, that, that's fair. I mean, you obviously, you know, have the prerogative to, to, do what you, to do what you like. Why are you trading in and out of it if you're convinced that there's so much momentum behind it? Don't do it. Because I use stops on trades. So if I go into something for a trade, I keep moving the stop up as the price moves up. Because I don't want to lose money on a trade. I'm there to make money on it. So, and once I bank some... As I said, I moved the stop up. John does the same thing. Pete does the same thing. That's just smart trading. I also want to limit my risk. So if it's coming down, hit my stop, I'm gone. All right. No, it's good to know. I mean, it's a little trade school, too, for, for, for people who are in perhaps yeah. more, more it, speculative. It takes the, yeah. Yeah, it, go ahead. It, it, I'm sorry. It, it, it takes the emotion out of it. You don't get married to it. So you just put it to the side. It takes the distraction out of it. And it, you know, you make money great. If you don't, hey, yeah. it was a little fun. Well, obviously, more people are talking about Bitcoin than ever before. Josh, are you, do you have a position in Bitcoin at all? Uh, and if not an actual financial position, do you have a position on it to share with us? Yeah, I, very publicly, like on, on the show and like MarketWatch made a graphic where I'm holding up a Bitcoin. I look like cryptocurrency Hitler in the picture. But like I, I announced in the summer of 17 that I bought my first Bitcoin after having several dinners and events and meetings with like some of the earliest proponents of cryptocurrency. And they didn't necessarily convince me that it would be a currency, but I was convinced that there would be a lot of people coming in later than me, which I think is what Steve is trying to say. So I'm not like, um, I'm not like a disruption hippie, like screaming about how Bitcoin's gonna change the world, but I've been in it ever since. I bought Litecoin, I bought all this other stuff. I don't understand any of it. It just goes up every day. I don't trade it. I don't have any opinion on the price. Um, but I do believe that digital assets are going to be a big part of the economy in the future. And I think Bitcoin, as a Bitcoin maximalist, which is what I called myself in 18, I thought it made the most sense for everyone to surround this one rather than having all these ICOs, which were a disaster. So I stuck with Bitcoin. I'm still in it. Um, I'm a believer that it's going to be part of the wealth management industry, the asset management business. Um, I don't know that we'll be buying and selling things every day with it, but I understand the need to own assets that are outside of the financial industry. And I've always said that for, for years now. So I think everyone's talking about it because mm -hmm. it's gone up so much, which is how fear and greed works and how Wall Street works. And 
the higher it goes, the more people want to own it, which actually gives it a very unique quality. It's, it's what they call in the economics profession a Veblen good. It's worth more, or it's a better buy the higher it goes. Well, so that's what's happening there. Um, I have a big project to announce very shortly in that space. I don't want to say too much now, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the mix. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm down. Speaking of going up a lot, we're showing you Bumble, which has opened for trade. You can see shares are up better than 80 uh, percent, just shy of 78 bucks. Again, priced at 43 at an eight billion dollar uh, valuation uh, in the IPO today uh, and adding to it uh, by the moment. Doc, you try to get a value, a, uh, an allocation here. You usually try and do with uh, perceived hot IPOs here. Yeah, but unfortunately, Judge, now that I'm on several public boards, I can't. Uh, get an allocation anymore. The uh, oh. brokers uh, basically cut cut me off. Yeah, and that's that's okay. That's fine. It's not like I try to move it over to some secret account or something like that. If those are the rules, those are the rules I play by. But otherwise, I would have loved. John, to do be you have a Bumble. profile on I Bumble? The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope not, John. Don't <laughs> yeah. tell my wife. <laughs> yes, yes. The judge, the other judge, would not be happy. Would not be happy with no, that. No, no, she would not. All right, uh, Surat, Disney, after the bell, core holding of yours. It is a core holding, and I think the focus here um, is going to be on what is Disney Plus doing and, and really the trajectory of that and then the further discussion of when things do, do reopen. What is the strategy going forward? They've had enough time now to figure out what's the best way to maximize profit and also uh, client experience. So we'll be very interested to hear what they're doing. The stock has done very well. It's reflecting basically a really good future. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, they can expand more on that. Yeah, yeah. What a run. Uh, just 37% in, in three months. It's been really an incredible run. All right. Mm -hmm. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We have unusual activity coming up. Plus, in celebration of Black History Month, we're honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is James McDonald with his advice for the next generation. The most important advice I could give the next generation of black Americans is look at the success as an example that's before you. We've been a president of the United States. We've excelled in some of the largest financial institutions and we've generated billions in those areas of finance that are the most complex. You can do it too. Go after what you want and be all that you can be. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a buyer of Bumble. Tiffany, you just bought it literally a few moments ago, I'm told. I did. I did. I, I just love the story. Um, uh, I, I, and for those of you who, who, who don't know, you know, Bumble is a data gap where women control everything. And I, I love that. I love the story of this female founder. Uh, we don't really have a lot of those on uh with publicly traded companies. I love the moves and the decisions that, that she's made with the company before today. So I think it's a great story. Uh, clearly fits into my 
to my uh, my my tech conviction. So I'm expecting good things. So I bought some. I love the reasoning, where women control everything. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> put a girl in charge and see what happens. Yep. All right. Uh, good stuff. Uh, Just thanks. saying. I hear you. Thanks for <laughs> believe me. Uh, we all hear you. Uh, thank you for telling us about that. All right. Unusual activity, Doc. Cool. All right, uh, Scott. Uh, Canopy Growth was one that uh, was one of the many stocks on the uh, gang weed. That's part of the uh, Wall Street Bet site that also had Tilray in there, and they have driven these stocks, Scott, to dizzying heights. And you see the flame out over in Tilray that we talked about earlier. This one, it had about a 55% run in the last month, and then it's pulled back today to only be only be up 22% or something like that. A lot of that's probably uh, the Constellation is such a significant owner here, Scott, but the speculative paper in both those names, Tilray and Canopy, was up 85% was call buying, and those calls that were being bought are a lot of those folks, whether they're coming in through Robinhood or elsewhere. Um, unusual activity today, Scott, take a look at Beyond Meat. They're buying the next week expiration Feb 180 calls. That's what the stock at 171.70 this morning. They bought about four or 5,000 of those. I think this one could easily make that jump, but I'll probably buy something slightly lower strike, Scott. And then on the rally that I hope occurs, I'll sell a higher strike against it. I got you, Doc. Thank you for that. John Najarian, straight ahead. Thank you. We have trades on some of the big analyst calls of the day. Plus, there's been a lot of confusion about the coronavirus vaccine, how to get it, when and where. Well, today, NBC Universal is launching a new tool which can be found at planyourvaccine.com. It's an interactive personal tool where users can find state by state eligibility, the closest vaccination location, lots of data on the vaccine itself in that area, plus a checklist of items you'll need for your appointments. Check that out. We're back in just two minutes. Rahel Solomon joining us now with our calls of the day. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Yeah, so these are all upgrades in retail or retail adjacent. So let's begin with Under Armour getting an upgrade to overweight at Piper Stanley with the price target doubling to $28 a share. So the stock is at fresh highs and has more than doubled in six months, but Piper analysts think that it still has 25% more to go. Scott, they like the company's discipline around inventory, promotions, and cost controls. Bed Bath & Beyond is also being upgraded to buy at B of A. So this is one of the stocks that rallied, of course, as part of that Reddit trade, reaching as high as $54 a share before then coming back down to around $28 now. Analysts upgrading it after meetings with management and also saying that this recent pullback in shares make its valuation much more attractive. And finally, mall owner Simon Property Group is being upgraded to overweight at Morgan Stanley. The price target goes to 125. Scott, this is already a stock that's up 27% this year, but analysts think that the stock is still cheap and they see several earnings drivers that support the new target. Still, however, around 25% from recent highs, Scott. Yeah, Josh Brown likes it too. For those who've been watching this program, Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon joining us. Let's talk Uber. It is near the lows of the day, um, and we have a lot of ownership on it. Tiff, you bought more ahead of the earnings. Josh, you own it. We've heard about, you know, you talk about that. Doc, you got calls, but I want to hear from Surratt. You bought it a couple of weeks ago, so you bought it ahead of the print. Uh, we, we did, Scott, and I like the story for a couple of reasons. One is that Uber Eats is working. Secondly, management's really focused, and this is the most important point, on being positive cash flow and having positive earnings. And I think that 
in, in, in where we are right now in the environment that we're in, once we get to a reopening story, I think this stock has a lot of upside to it and a lot of financial leverage that will be positive. So I think it's a good time to own this stock. And if it goes down, we'll be adding more to it. Josh, any concerns at all about the amount of money this, this company continues to lose? No, they just cut their loss from $8 billion to $1 billion. They're like, they're, if it weren't for the pandemic, they might have been cash flow positive already by uh, the midpoint of this year. So that might have pushed them off a quarter, but it doesn't matter. The stock price is higher than when those projections first come up. People don't even understand the potential here. They bought Drizzly recently, like in the last couple of weeks, for like a billion dollars. Do you have any idea how, how much money Americans spend a year at liquor stores? Like, if they just get a few percentage points of that market share delivering alcohol, this is a business that nobody was even thinking about. It could be a huge business for them. So they have this last mile thing figured out. They have the drivers. They have the vehicles. They have the technology. They will be a preeminent mobility solution for Americans and people all over the world for years and decades to come. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being worried about last quarter's earnings uh, being an investor in this, it just makes no sense. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? Yeah. And, and one, one more thing that? to add to that. I got, a, I got a split. I okay. do. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. We'll, we'll try and get to it before okay. we go. I got to go though. Treasury yields are pulling back. Fed Chair Powell saying Fed's not going anywhere anytime soon. We'll talk to the futures traders to find out how they're playing it next. And a reminder: you can watch or listen to us live always on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. Let's do the futures outlook. Yields moving lower on the back of Chair Powell's comments. Scott Nation is joining us for more on how to play it. I can't imagine his comments were a surprise to anybody. No, we know that they want to be lower for longer. But, Scott, despite that, right after the first of the year, we saw the 10-year yield move from a sideways range to a higher sideways range. And it's been in there uh, since, again, just after the first of the year. I think they're whistling past the graveyard at the Fed when they say that inflation's not going to be a problem. And so it's easy to see lots of catalysts that would drive rates higher, tough to see any that would drive rates lower. And that being the case, I want to be a seller of the 10-year future and the March contract. I would be a seller at 137 even, as you can see right there. Uh, once I'm short, my target to the downside is going to be 136 even. That's just below the recent low that we had on January 12th. My stop, we're always going to trade these with a stop, 137 16, and at those prices, we're risking $500 to make double that $1,000. Gotcha. We'll talk to you soon, Scott Nations. Thank you very much. We've got final trades Thank coming you. up next. Let's do final trades. First up, Tiff, then Surat. Yep. So how you compete with Tesla in the EV space and win UBGM, the largest producer of cars in the U.S., okay. and you make a commitment to go 100% EV. So... That's how you win Mary Barra and change the game. Surat. Uh, Charter Communications, great cash flow, broadband growth. This is the one you want to own even through the pandemic and when we reopen. Okay, Josh, then John. Bought PayPal under 200 very recently, staying with it regardless of the rally. Win Resorts, Scott, uh, bought it on this dip, got back into call spreads. Okay, lastly, Weiss, go ahead. XPO, great quarter. I added to management shock. The stock is lower. Great okay. guidance as well. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching The Exchanges Now. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.